This week on Water Flying, we're in Tavares, Florida with City Manager John Jury and SPA Board Member. You are listening to Water Flying, a show dedicated to all things seaplanes. Brought to you by the Seaplane Pilots Association. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm the executive director of the Seaplane Pilots Association, which is the world's largest nonprofit advocacy organization dedicated to the protection and promotion of the water flying community. Climb aboard! We're about to start today's episode. Well, welcome to another episode of Water Flying. I am so glad we are joined by our good friend, SPA board member and city manager of Tavares, Florida, John Jury, and a special co-host, Mark Twombly from Waterflying Magazine is with us on location, and we just flew in to America's Seaplane City this morning in my Super Cub, and super happy to be here as we prepare for an upcoming event, which will be covered in another podcast, but today we're going to explore... John Jury's Journey and America's Seaplane Cities. Jury, so John, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us. Steve, thanks for having me. Mark, great to see you. Good to see and, you. And um, look forward to uh, talking about uh, America's Seaplane City. So tell us a little bit about your background. What was your journey? How did you end up in Tavares, Florida? And what were you doing before you developed this incredible facility and, and destination for seaplanes? Well, I uh, started off uh, gra- when I graduated high school um, from Stowe, Vermont. I decided I wanted to fly airplanes and get my college degree. And there were about three airports that did that. One was in um, Daytona, one was in Melbourne, and one was Daniel Webster College up in New Hampshire. And I looked at all three of them and uh, ended up at the Florida Institute of Technology in their aviation program Very good. Yeah. to become a pilot. And about a year into it, um, there was a professor there that tapped a bunch of us on the shoulders and said, you know, there's this new field that has just opened up called airport management. All of the World War II veterans that transitioned from flying airplanes during World War II and became the airport managers of all those World War II bases that became civilian airports are all retiring. And so uh, would you be interested in leaving your flight school program in learning about managing American airports. And about 15 or 20 of us switched our majors and pursued a whole different path and became airport managers. And uh, we all landed at different airports around the country. Uh, I remember Bob Ball, I think, ended up in Jacksonville. I ended up uh, down in, um, or over in Tampa. And, and we, all over the country, we left FIT. Uh, we had our airport management degree. Um, people were retiring across the country, and we became airport managers, GA airport managers, commercial service airport managers. And I was in that business for probably 15 years, managing airports around the country from up in New England down to Florida and different places. And then uh, one day I decided to switch careers and go from airport management to city management. And running an airport, like I was at Tampa International for five years, it's like running a city, right? Police departments, fire right. departments, hotels, transportation, 10,000 employees we had there back then in the 80s. At Tampa International. At Tampa International. 10,000 employees. 10,000 employees. Wow, that's amazing. 
And so uh, every day I would go into a city. We dealt with water, we dealt with sewer, we dealt with roads, we dealt with police, we dealt with fire, we dealt with everything. So the transition from managing a airport with hundreds of thousands of people and 10,000 employees to a city was pretty natural. Elected boards, appointed boards, you know, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So I transitioned, became an air, uh, a city manager up in Stowe, Vermont, and then um, decided I wanted to come back to Florida. And there was this job um, available here in Tavares. They were looking for economic development, somebody who understood economic development. Uh, and I had been doing that at airports, building industrial parks and commerce parks and manufacturing incubators and things of that nature, everything that goes with an airport. And uh, I got the job, and they asked me to um, come up with an economic development program for their city. And at the time, Tavares was Tavares Anytown, USA, Mm -hmm. just a common town, an American town. And uh, I was over at the Irish pub, scratching my head, trying to think what would help this city be something different and it has to be niche it has to be wow it has to be powerful and what year was this this was in uh, 2006 okay and two and the irish pub is right across the street from us right now as we sit here at the seaplane base yes it's right across (laughs) the street from the seaplane base and back then it was just a lake with a lot of you know kind of a swampy area and the community had turned its back to its lake its main street was on the other side it wasn't even looking at the lake uh, and so I went to the Irish pub, and two guys came in to sit down, and they had, uh, I think they ordered like a hamburger and some iced tea and some water, and uh, I looked down at their feet, and they were had crocs on their feet, and there were seaweed things hanging out of the holes <laughs> of the crocs, and I said, these guys have been trepsing through the lake and the swamp, and I said, did you guys just fly in here? Oh, yeah, we just flew in in a seaplane, and said, really? Yeah, we come in here once in a while. It's a little bit of a pain. You know, there's no facilities or anything. But if you go in between the gators and the seaweed and all this stuff, uh, you can pull up. And as long as you got Crocs on, you can, you know, trudge through it all. <laughs> and it kind of hit me that, huh, let me look at where this city is in relation to Florida. And if you cut Florida out on a piece of cardboard and spun it on your finger, you would end up in the center of the state right here. Absolutely. And seaplanes have an issue with refueling, as you know. Uh, sometimes you, you're, you're on your way to some place and you're landing and you got to have gas cans and hitchhike into the town. And I, I was like, well, what if we built a fueling facility in the center point of Florida? So if you have a seaplane in Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and you want to go to the Keys or you want to go to the Bahamas, wouldn't it be cool to have a refueling place halfway? Mm-hmm. So I sat down with my board, with the community, and uh, we started talking about what would it take to build a seaplane base with a fueling facility in the water. And uh, four years later, uh, we cut the ribbon with the governor of the state of Florida, and we had opened America's seaplane city with the smallest airport terminal building in the country <laughs> and the coolest little refueling facility in the water. So there had to be a lot that went on in those four years. Uh, a good idea, a good vision on your part. How do you convince city fathers and uh, probably more importantly the citizens to go along with a plan like that? And how was it all funded? 
Well, uh, it's a very good question. It begins with a vision without implementation is a hallucination. (laughs) And you have to communicate that to the board and the citizens. You are to varies any town USA. And I've heard that's not working well for you in terms of jobs, um, property values, and your kids wanting to stay here. They're all leaving, and that's a problem. Your main street is boarded up. You have one restaurant. You're looking for a vibrant downtown. You have a vision to have a vibrant downtown. We must implement that and execute it, and that will take some money. So we put about an $8 million long-term loan program uh, funded by the city of Tavares, a 20-year low-interest government loan, and uh, laid out that if we built a fueling facility, a seaplane ramp, an airport terminal building, Mm -hmm. and a few other things, we built a wedding facility and a train station and things of that nature, and um, turned the back of the businesses towards the waterfront and instead of their back ends facing the waterfront make the front doors near the waterfront that we could turn this thing around and eight million dollars later and uh an airport terminal building and a seaplane ramp and a fueling facility um and uh, working with the faa and fdot aviation office to actually you know, create an airport and a three-letter identifier, Foxtrot Alpha One, mm-hmm. and getting the airspace cleared and all that, hiring good consultants that understood airport management, um, we were able to build an airport. And, and I had built quite a few airports. I, I, I was building an airport, three airports in, um, in Naples. I had uh, worked on building up the Immokalee Airport, the Everglades Airport, and the uh, Marco Island Airport, two of which had seaplane operations. Uh, So I had a little bit of experience with seaplanes, building airports, and the economic impact airports have on a community. And from that, of course, we landed Sea Ray, the seaplane manufacturing company. They hired a bunch of people, high-wage jobs. Whip Air came over to Leesburg. Restaurants started coming downtown, and our community has never stopped since. We open up a restaurant or an establishment in our downtown about once a year. Yes, yeah, so I think that it's important is this timeline of 2006 when you started this. Um, you're in very close proximity to the Orlando metropolitan area, and as a Florida native, I mean, I've watched Kissimmee and Orlando just blossom uh, since the early 70s with Disney and all the resorts and everything else that it's gone, and it's a very good convention uh, revenue uh, for the local economy as well. But in 2006, despite the fact that the nation was really experiencing an economic boom and Florida was going through a real estate boom as well, this town was relatively uh, very underutilized and it, it was not a popular place to come and it was kind of a sleepy little town. And that's what you came in to change. Uh, your charter was and that's where all this happened. And so despite the fact that it was very common for communities in the state of Florida to be experiencing great economic wealth. Tavares was not. It, it actually was worse, worse than that. It was atrophying. Uh, the businesses were boarded up in the main street. They left downtown. They went out to the highways and 
just, um, you know, the first thing they did is they moved the post office. Worst thing you can do to a downtown is take the post office and put it out on the highway. Then after that, the restaurants left, the grocery stores left, the uh, pharmacy left, the doctor's offices left, everything left, and the downtown was vacant, and they needed to turn that around. Now today, what do we have? We've got the medical offices back. We've got the pharmacy back. We've got the restaurants growing. We have uh, many, many people employed down here, and it's uh, it's a vibrant community. So $8 million initially to, to build the first uh, uh, the first. Uh, iteration of the facility. We'll talk in a minute about the rebuild. That was funded by loans from the city. Correct. And how were those loans guaranteed? How were they paid back? They were guaranteed through uh, infrastructure sales tax for um, voted approved infrastructure sales tax. um, And utility taxes were the two pledges we put for those loans. Did uh, so it resulted in something of a little tax increase for some members or and or businesses in the community? I would say it probably more resulted in a uh, shifting of what you were spending the money on. So spending it on, uh, spending it on economic development uh, rather than, um, you know, maybe building a new road or uh, repaving a road. I think we... We kind of shifted for about three years. Let's shift those dollars that we're spending on other things. Then one of the issues we had here in Tavares is 90% of the tax revenue was coming from residents and only 10% was coming from the business community. And in a um, good community, it's about 60-40. And the, the reason is, is that um, your residents, for every dollar a resident contributes to the tax base, they consume about a dollar twenty in services. Wow! Um, you know they use libraries, parks, and things of that nature. For every dollar a business contributes to the tax base, they consume about eighty cents. So they subsidize. Uh, businesses don't use libraries, they don't use parks, they don't even use police and fire that much. So you really need the business community contributing a lot more than just ten percent. Our goal was to go to 60-40. I think we're at 70-30 now. Wow. So the goal was to bring, you know, the the, the imbalance of um, the business community to the residence community was a was a big problem. Uh, we've shifted that. We're close to 60-40 now. And so the, the businesses now are really paying for all this. Mm. We invested in ourselves and others invest in us. When you invest in yourselves, others invest in you. When we did this... The hotel opened up in the downtown, the second hotel, the third hotel, the uh, the business community. I mean, things you would never even think of started coming here. Publix Shopping Center, which was never here. I mean, mm-hmm. Publix is about as Florida as you get, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. We didn't yeah. even have one of those. Yeah, if, if you <laughs> don't live in Florida, you might know not know Publix. But it is a Florida-based company. It was founded here in Lakeland, yeah. Florida, and it's a big part. It, you know, it was growing it's a grocery up. grocery store. You, you, had, you had Publix grocery stores, yeah. so... Um, they've been a big factor. And, and I think that's important. There were no hotels here. I mean, there was, it was, as you said, not only atro- it was stagnant and atrophying. There wasn't a single hotel in town back then. No, there wasn't. And uh, now we have three, one with a swimming pool. The, you know, it's a the Key West resort at um, reasonably priced. People fly in here uh, and stay here. Um, and the other thing we needed was a, a seaplane base operator. 
we went went out for proposals nationwide. I think we had two or three proposals. I think we had three proposals, and then we selected the Jones brothers, uh, who started off with scenic um, rides. Uh, then they went on to flight training, and then they went to, on to air charter, uh, and they grew with us. Uh, and that was kind of cool to see that they were yeah. bringing pilots down here and, and growing their business as well. When did uh, it open? When did uh, the entire Tavares uh, Lake facility for seaplanes and boats open? April of 2010. How soon after that did you start to see positive results in terms of economic, uh, the, the town coming back? Immediately. Wow. So that, I think that's an important lesson for communities around the country. When we're, as a Seaplane Pilots Association, out advocating for economic development and why seaplane tourism is good for a community and why you should open your community to the thought process of welcoming seaplanes, again, your impact was immediate. Immediate. Wow. That's and impressive. it hasn't stopped. And since. this is coming from the city manager of Tavares, not someone here plugging the Seaplane Pilots right. Association or Seaplanes? No, this is our economic development program. You know, we have a freshwater lake. We are Lake County. Um, we wanted to um, grow our city economically and turn around the, an atrophying city. And so we uh, became America's seaplane city, and we've grown ever since, and people continue to... It must be working because you're still on the job. You would have been fired long ago. (laughs) Well, that's a good point. The average life of a city manager in Florida, I think, is five years, and in the United States, it's seven. Yeah, and you've been here 15, so... Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Well, you know, I always tout Tavares as being our our, uh, poster child of what other communities can do and, and how symbiotic and, and how complementary seaplanes can be to a community and to the atmosphere of a community. And I would like to explain to people that may have not have experienced this wonderful city what it's like because everything within this town is seaplane themed from the park benches to the lampposts to the street signs to the city park with a, a float plane with spinning propellers with water shooting out. It, this, I mean, this is all in. This is like Disneyland for seaplanes. And you know what's <laughs> cool, Steve, is that the private sector responded by uh, building a restaurant called Puddle Jumpers, right? Seaplane themed. Mm-hmm. The um, uh, other restaurants have seaplane themed menus. Uh, so it's really um, infectious. Uh, and it's really cool when the private sector embraces a community's theme and builds upon it. And, um, you know, really becomes a a true entrepreneur, an American entrepreneur, um, utilizing what the community has to offer. And it's all seaplane themed. These are not just seaplane people that have brought uh, the growth back to the city. This has to be local citizens and visitors who are attracted by the restaurants and so on. Yeah, um, the seaplane theme was something people could rally around and enjoy. I mean, we have a 1,000 people here when we do a seaplane theme to fly in. Uh, we do the bomb dropping contest. We do the first floats off contest. We do the spot landing contest. Mm-hmm. And people come out here to watch it, and they love it. Um, it's a cool thing to watch. I'm not sure why, but people saw what we did here and said, that's where I want to put my business. A coffee shop just opened up the other day. 
as I said earlier, we open up one new business, maybe two new businesses, uh, when it comes to like restaurants and bars and co- coffee shops every year. So, you know, we had maybe one restaurant here um, 10, 12 years ago or 9, 10, 11 restaurants and growing. Uh, and those are the, just the ones in the downtown. If you go a little bit out of town, there's a lot more. It's um, hard to explain exactly how this thing um, impacted. All I know is it happened. You know, I mean, things that you wouldn't think would be here are here um, that aren't even related to the seaplanes, but people just like the vibe. Yeah. You know, they like the fact that this city invested in itself in a niche and wow, you know, civic entrepreneurial way. Uh, And when you have a civic entrepreneurial mindset within your government, entrepreneurs know that. And when they see that, they go, well, this is where I can open up a business. It may not be seaplane related, but at least I know they're accepting seaplanes. They have an entrepreneurial spirit here, and um, I'm going to put my money here, and they do. I mean, the hospital has grown. The medical parks have grown. Uh, we said Publix grocery store yeah. came to town. We didn't even have a McDonald's in the town. Uh-huh. All of that has come uh, just since we became America's uh-huh. seaplane city. It, it has the feel of a beach town. It does. I mean, we've yeah. got a bar... Uh, right, right across from the seaplane ramp with right. uh, beach sand exactly. uh, and live music uh, at the events. I mean, uh, people come here to sit at the restaurants and watch the seaplanes come mm-hmm. and go. Yeah, That's great. I mean, they are. Uh, they love to line up along the shoreline. They like to go to a restaurant, and uh, they're uh, they're looking to spot a seaplane, and and it's pretty cool. So April 2010, yes, it opened. Everything's going great, and then the storm happens. Tell us. About uh, the, the storm, second life. The, the hurricane, right. yes. Yeah, Irma, um, the eye of the storm came over towards St. Petersburg, and it shot across, and it hit Orlando, and the eye flattened out uh, in Orlando, and it went. We, we looked at the, uh, um, uh, the satellite views of what happened. It went right over Tavares, and then up into Umatilla, and I think ended up in Jacksonville. Well, when that eye flattened out across the lake here, it uh, took out everything. I mean, it took out our entire seaplane base, all of our um, boats, all of our... We had flown the seaplanes out. They were stored uh, in another city. Um, but it did... A lot of boats didn't leave. We, you know, we're in central Florida. If a Cat 5 hits the East Coast, we're lucky if we were at a Cat 2 or Cat 1. Yeah. Maybe 65, 70-mile-an-hour winds at best. Uh, but this thing hit... 90 plus miles an hour and it took out our docks and everything and made a big ball and if you google it you'll just see balls of boats and balls of docks yeah um and uh we were fortunate you know in that we had insured everything that's great yeah so we foresight again we worked with our insurance company um we had three big insurance company lloyd's of london uh we had um uh aig uh, and then we had a, a group of others that was spread spread apart. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can hear uh, airplane. Yeah, we in. can hear airplane noise, uh, radio communication. Yeah. So there you have it. Let's have an airplane. <laughs> uh, but the insurance companies were great. Uh, they worked with us um, to uh, you know do two things. We had business interruption insurance so we could keep the employees here and keep going. We had um, environmental insurance uh, no to clean up everything. <laughs> 
you can't help if you're a pilot to just listen. To yeah, something. I have to listen to that, <laughs> that communication. So, and, uh, and then we had the rebuild. And it took us about three years to rebuild everything, but it's rebuilt now. Um, we did a few improvements. Uh, we had a double-wide seaplane ramp here. We have a triple-wide now. We did move the boating activity to the west end. Uh, the conflict between boats and seaplanes was a little tight, so we've separated the boats to the far west end, seaplanes only, where the airport terminal building is. Um, we're looking at uh, rerouting the trail and creating an observation area. You know, observing seaplanes coming and going, you know, it's like whale watching. I mean, they, yeah. people just love to go and sit and watch and look. Uh, so we are going to create an observation area here for, uh, uh, for people, uh, make it uh, safer. And, um, you know, so keep it, on going. The storm, obviously, very unfortunate, but it gave you an opportunity to, to really improve on the design uh, and the operations and everything. Well, Mark, that's a good observation. You know, when we got into this thing, I went all over the world, all over the country. Where is, how do you build a really good seaplane base? You know, I come, back, I come from a, a background of international airports and safety and doing it right airport engineers, environmental engineers, and all that. So I'm trying to build a seaplane base that meets the criteria. Well, there isn't really one out there. You call Alaska, and it's a bunch of logs that you pull up on the bark. You you call up Australia. They got their thing going on. You call up uh, anywhere, and it's like, well, there was a plane here, and somebody knew somebody, and it grew, and then it got bigger. And so no one's really designed. Now, there isn't an FAA advisory circular on, on doing it. So the rules are out there, the guidance is there, but it was really hard to find. So our first five years, we were really learning. You know, we, we had a pretty good idea what we were doing, but, you know, we had the boats and the seaplanes together. The ramp was not quite where it needed to be, maybe a little too steep for a seaplane, but, you know, if you flatten it out too much and then it's too flat for a boat. Um, so we learned a lot about engineering, design, uh, mixture of boats and seaplanes. What does a dock need to look like? You know, you don't want the pontoons of a seaplane getting stuck underneath the dock. Um, so you, we had some design standards and some design issues, and we learned from all of that. So when the hurricane came, we said we don't want to rebuild our seaplane. No, we want to take everything we've learned. And apply it. And apply it. Yeah. That's it, Steve. And that's what we did. Um, we've applied everything, lessons learned, uh, just about everything. Given, given that opportunity to... Uh, to improve on the original design based on experience, this has to be one of the most efficient, uh, best designed, if not the best designed seaplane base in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, it's our poster child. And we've had the good fortune of working on some National Academy uh, of Sciences uh, research projects on the importance of seaplane activity and seaplane bases to the national infrastructure and transportation system as well. And I really appreciate, again, you've been very generous with your time. And when we've invited other cities and, and told them of your success at the Seaplane Pilots Association, we've been able to invite them to come down and visit you. And you've literally said, we'll open up everything. We'll show them how we built this, what the results have been, how we went through the process. And you've been so gracious in allowing other community leaders to come in and take a look. So I, I am going, I'm saying that because I'm sure that invitation is still open today. If you're interested in developing a seaplane base for your community, if you would like your community leaders to come, 
uh, you can contact the Seaplane Pilots Association or yourself, and we will set this up and and show you just the power of possibility. Absolutely, I, I think it's a it's a it's a great economic development story. It's a great aviation story. Um, it's a great um, city, you know, civic entrepreneurial um, story as well. There's there's a there were lessons learned. It came out very very well. And if you're a community that is positioned in a nice spot for uh, seaplane activity, um, why not um, educate your city council, your elected officials, that this is an economic engine for your community. And nurtured and fertilized and and, uh, done right, it will have some really good, positive, quality of life impacts on your community. Yeah. If... If uh, what would you say to a seaplane pilot and or city officials in other communities who are interested in doing something like this? What would be the main takeaways, say the three most important things that they should keep in mind in order to advance a project like this? Um, That's a good question. Three most important things that, um, well... (sighs) Number one, honestly, fun. It's a yeah. fun project. I have had so much fun. The community has had fun. The business community has had fun. We've had fun creating uh, an economic engine for our community that's based on seaplanes. And let's face it, seaplanes are cool. I mean, <laughs> they just are. People love them. Yeah. For people who fly them, it's great. But people who don't fly them, people who just... Maybe never want to get in a seaplane. There's something about the lure of the whole um, watching a seaplane coming in for a landing and especially watching a seaplane take off. Full power, yoke up, the water, you know, and you watch it and you, you, you look at the kids, you look at the parents. They may never want to get in a seaplane, but man, did that make their day. Yeah, I, I don't know how else to describe it other than it's a magnetic attraction. When they hear the seaplane, when they see the seaplane on the water or on the shoreline or on the ramp, there's just this magnetic attraction. And uh, you can see that at the events here because the majority of the people that come to the seaplane events that the city hosts are probably non-flyers. They're, yeah. they're non-aviation people. I think right after fun uh, is uh, the people that fly seaplanes generally have a higher disposable income than the average in your community. And so when they come here to your community, they've never heard of it. Stavari's any town USA, so why would I come here? All of a sudden, it's Stavari's America's seaplane city. I think I'll go there. And they do in their seaplanes. And they fall in love with it, and they buy a house, and they move their business, and they grow it. And that's happened a couple of times here. Uh, so that would be kind of the second thing is that it does bring in new money. Um, you can circulate your existing money in your community, and it's just swirling around. It's not growing, right? Mm-hmm. Someone's paying somebody to pay somebody to pay somebody, but nothing's growing. You have to bring new money into a community to have growth. And um, building a seaplane base, bringing new people with a disposable income, most of them are business owners and yeah. entrepreneurs, uh, and they fly into your community because you had a fly-in or because you're America's Seaplane City. Um, they think about bringing their business here and hiring people and bringing new money into your community. So right after fun, you know, the practicality of it is um, 
when you invest in yourselves, others invest in you, and that helps the um, economy. Uh, and then um, I think maybe the third is the unintended consequences um, in a very positive way that occur when you invest in yourselves, like when you, when you build a seaplane base. Um, I hear the stories all the time. You know, why are you here? What brought you here? Well, I heard about the seaplane base, or I flew in one day, or I uh, came by and saw the seaplanes, and I decided to stay a while. And when I stayed a while, I met friendly people, <laughs> and next thing I knew, I was at a restaurant, and I stayed at the hotel, and off we go. So um, I guess I would call it the ripple effect. You know, you mm-hmm. you have a, a, a ripple effect of doing this that is beyond what you could conceive. Yeah. You know, we... Like I said, we brought in Sea Ray, one of the you know largest uh, light sport seaplane manufacturing companies in the country. They're selling sea rays all over the world. Right. Matter of fact, we're looking at one right outside the window here on the other side of the truck. There, there's a, a Sea Ray on the ramp. And as we flew in this morning, it was really as it always is. Um, there's actually more airplanes here now than when we landed this morning. I think there's eight seaplanes uh, between the shoreline and the ramp right now sitting here which is incredible. And you guys really have, have done this really, I mean, high class. The building that we're sitting in right now is a replica of a very historic building. And again, it adds to the charm and it adds to the flair. And at every opportunity, you've hired the best engineering firm. Yes. Uh, you've taken the high road to do things. I mean, if the, the way the wiring and the speaker systems that, uh, you know, uh, the whole seaplane base, the whole waterfront here um, is wired for sound and, and for events uh, with power and water. And, and you've just done such a, and a beautiful pavilion uh, attracting a seaplane school here that is also a commercial operator. We've been fortunate. You know, we hired Avcon Engineering, a great Florida airport aviation engineering firm. Uh, they have done an amazing job for us. They did a great job uh, over at uh, Leesburg, helping out with them, and and they do a great job over the country building these kind of facilities. Um, So we've been lucky there. Another area that I, you know, and and this is something I didn't know, but seaplanes, the history, tying the history of seaplanes to the community um, was an area that we were fortunate in. We found out through research, almost happened chance that the first seaplane landed here in 1914, four years after the seaplane was invented in, in France. Um, and it was Tony Janus yeah. who flew his Benoit over here uh, during a parade, landed it here, uh, and he was marketing his new airline, you know, between St. Pete and, um, and, uh, and Tampa. So seaplanes sea have had a long history. Clara Adams, you know, the, the maiden of uh, maiden flights, you know, friend of Amelia Earhart, she flew her first seaplane in a Thomas flying boat, the first all-metal hull uh, aircraft uh, ever built in the, in the world. Every airplane um, since then, military or civilian, now have metal hull. Before then, it was wooden fabric. So when we talked to the community and told them about Clara Adams and the Thomas Flying Boat and the Ben Juan and, uh, and Tony Janus all being part of this community in January 1914, in February 1914. Um, and here we are uh, in 2020, 
2008, six, um, the community really got behind it. it. It was once the community found that we had a history of seaplanes, and many communities have a history of seaplanes they don't even know about. You got to go to the local. Yeah. You have to do the research. Go to your local hist- history museum. And if you find that, you know, uh, you have a history uh, seaplane, I found out there were uh, World War II seaplane bases out in these lakes I didn't even know about. Well, yeah. But there they were on the old sectionals. Uh, and that really, really helped um, some of the old folks go, you know, seaplanes have been here a long time, 100 years. Yeah. We, we actually we held our 100-year anniversary not too, too long ago honoring uh, the first seaplane flight here. Well, what's uh, important for people to understand, we're talking about Tony Janus, and that might not be a name that's familiar to the average person, but he's an incredibly significant person, especially in the fact that he was here in February of uh, 1914, which was just a month after he made an incredibly historic flight. And in the Benoit, Tony Janus made the very first commercial scheduled airline flight from St. Petersburg to Tampa on January 1st, 1914. And so here again, after the very a month after the very first commercial airline flight occurs in history, Tony Janus is here with that very airplane in Tavares. That is correct. That's that's a great story. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I just want to invite seaplane pilots and non-seaplane pilots to visit this incredible city. They have integrated seaplanes into every one of their holidays. We're coming up on Rocktoberfest and the Monster Splash-In. They do Seaplane Santa. Uh, They've integrated literally the seaplanes into the fiber of this community at every level. I'd like to thank John for creating this amazing uh, city uh, and the development with seaplanes. I'd like to thank your city council and your community for welcoming uh, welcoming us into it and for all the work you've done. And it's an honor to have you on the Seaplane Pilots Association board and to work with you. And um, I thank you for your time. So I hope that you guys have enjoyed listening to this very special episode as we're sitting here in America's Seaplane City, a very hallowed place in my heart. John Jury, thank you for uh, joining us today. And Mark, thanks for coming on board as well. I enjoyed it. And if you're a seaplane pilot, seaplane enthusiast, you owe it to yourself to come here to America's friendliest seaplane city. Spend a weekend. You'll love it. There you go. We are so glad you joined us today. If you like today's show, I highly encourage you to join the Seaplane Pilots Association and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world. Members receive Water Flying, the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory and a calendar of seaplane events not only here in the United States, but around the world. The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org, join our community, and support our mission of protecting and promoting water flying.